This is the Grumpy PA Podcast, where we bring new Army PAs a little bit of professional development and a touch of battlefield medicine. All right, guys, welcome back to the Grumpy PA Podcast. This is Paul, and I'm here with Grumpy PA. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about something that I've been dreading talking about, mostly because for the last couple years, I just haven't cared. I I haven't wanted to talk about clinic operations. I haven't wanted to talk about Demerzai because for me, it doesn't matter. And it's stuff that has been just a huge pain in my ass. Some some operator or, or administrator comes down and says, hey, you aren't working enough or I need more of your schedule. I need you to give me your schedule two to three months out. Um, and really, I was able to kind of dip, dodge, duck, and, and dive that for the last couple of years until I got to a new unit. Uh, last couple of weeks, I've been over uh, with a, a flight unit. They're getting ready for a deployment, and they had this under shortage um, or under lap of PA slash provider coverage. Um, the previous flight, uh, the brigade dock had allowed a lot of guys to dip out at the same time. Uh, and so the clinic was fighting through uh, just a shortage of providers and having a hard time getting patients in. So now we're fighting back with uh, how to get um, availability. You know, my agreement here as a, as a flight PA is 0.5 FTE, uh, meaning five out of 10 shifts in a week if you break the week into mornings and afternoons. Um, it, so at 0.5, I'm supposed to work five of those shifts. Uh, and really, I've just been getting kicked in the face and, and the brigade surgeon is getting kicked in the face saying, hey, like I need you guys to open up more of your schedule, um, even though I'm walking patients in in the afternoon. But so, again, we're kind of fighting this like medcom force com thing and, and mommy daddy games. But really grumpy, like who owns me? Like who is who is that a final authority and who really is able to say what I have to do? Well, it's it's good on you to try to avoid this conversation because uh, as you were talking, I just had to, to vomit a little because I don't want to talk about it either. But um, what I will tell you is 100% you should know this, um, not so much because you need to be good at it from this regard, but you want to know where and when you can push back and how you can push back. So uh, I'm sorry to hear you're going through that. Uh, you're not alone, though, as we talked about in some of our previous episodes. You're not the first one. And uh, so I'm going to just kind of highlight for you some of my observations across the 10 plus years that I've been a, a PA and down in the BCTs in the conventional force and having friends over in the soft side and friends at OCONUS and kind of uh, highlight the differences. Because if you don't have any experience working inside the MedCom, ForceCom realm, you might just show up to your new unit and be like, Hey, I'm a I'm a six FTE provider. They say I, I'm not allowed out of the clinic. They chain me to a desk and make me see a patient every three minutes. And you know, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. So, um, great questions, and and we'll absolutely run down that. Uh, let's open it up with understanding who owns you, right? Um, so, if you are your average Army PA in a conventional force or soft force unit, you don't work at the clinic. You don't wear a medcom patch. You wear first cav, eighty second, hundred first, whatever patch it is. You are 100% owned by Forcecom. They are your mom, your dad, your uncle, and your grandmas and grandpas. Uh, they, they own you 100%. What's interesting about that is that you are privileged to provide health care by the DCCS and the clinic at the MTF. Uh, and so they hold your credentials. Um, or they hold your privileging, right? And so that's why you have to privilege through them is that they're the quality control for making sure that people that shouldn't be doing medicine aren't doing medicine, right? Um, The hard part of that is that 
so many of our MedCom DHA friends uh, don't exist in the conventional force out in the in the force structure of ForceCom. And so they overestimate their control of you or lack understanding of how they interact with you. They'll come in and try to tell you this is the way it is. And if you don't know any better, you might be like, oh, man, that sucks. I, I This is what I have to do. But eventually what you'll find is that you you find your your elbow space and know where you fit within this and who you can tell no to. Um, it is a big deal to take a credentialing action against anybody, any privileged provider, right? So for someone to pull your credentialing, uh, it, is, it is exceptionally hard for the DHA MedCom person to do that without the consent of ForceCom. And so I, I recall once I saw a MedCom pull a provider's privileges once, there was an accusation of a HIPAA violation between a behavioral health provider and a brigade uh, brigade commander. The, the brigade health provider was giving information to the brigade commander that was probably, I, I think, looking at it consistent with their responsibilities and roles. Um, but somebody made an accusation from within the MedCom clinic environment because they didn't understand like how commanders interact and what what privileging authority they have to know that information and uh they they succeeded in having the dccs pull their their credentials they pulled their privileges and uh that was cool they thought that was cool right until the brigade commander got involved and when the brigade commander got involved they started swinging that weight around and uh, the credentials got reinstated <laughs> pretty quickly actually uh and i was like wow <laughs> yeah i was like that was that was cool like nice try guys uh so um that that said i would not you don't want that to be your practice pattern to to have to come get your tactical provider to to justify your health care um you you want to be on the up and up you want to be doing things right and and providing good health care for the benefit of your soldiers but um if there's ever confusion don't underestimate the power that your force com provider has the ability to uh to manage you because the simple fact is the joint commission isn't in your role one tent the joint commission isn't in your role two tent the joint commission isn't in the theater of operations you'll see people get confused and try and bring those things in and they'll want to inspect your aid station and so on and so forth but the simple fact is if it's not a medcom dha facility meaning that medcom dha didn't build it and isn't responsible for maintaining it so then then they don't really have any authority other than to come down and recommend best best practices and if they're willing, try to take an action against you. Uh, and now if they're justified, like I'll be the first one to get in line and be like, yeah, take action against that guy. You're not going to get Grumpa to come and say that this is a license to do shit medicine. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, but that said, if they come in and they're like, oh, well, this this uh, doesn't provide the right amount of uh, sound protection for. Yeah, I got it, man. Like you're, you're trying to apply a clinic garrison standard to a non-clinic garrison event and there is no clear line between the battalion aid station in a a bct's footprint and the tent that you set up in the role one and the tent that you set up in a theater of operations there's just not and it's impossible to define that and so often what you'll hear defined is like a series 500 building or an mtf owned facility so this is where it gets kind of intricate um because you working inside an MTF facility are actually actually borrowed military manpower. And what that goes to and speaks to is how they track you um, as far as your RVUs and your productivity and your FTE. And so you mentioned you're a half FTE provider at your current place. And um, that's kind of become the standard across the force. But what everyone needs to know and understand out there is that it is not the same from Fort Campbell to Fort Bragg to Fort Hood to Fort Irwin to overseas. It's not the same. Um, most places have worked out a standard that is similar to each other's, but they have intricacies 
of each location and they kind of they kind of move it around so uh during my time at bragg i was a half fte provider as well actually i think we were 0.3 fte depending on who we were at different times and and how you're staffed you know like at one point you had an extra gmo dock inside the bct and that affected your your fte but that agreement occurs between the force comm tactical uh command and the mtf uh, the local MTF, potentially the clinic. So at Fort Bragg, that, that agreement was conducted between the, the Robinson Health Clinic OIC and the, the 82nd Airborne Division uh, Surgeon Cell. And those two people had worked out a memorandum of understanding and agreement uh, on what the FTE would be. Um, so at whatever facility, whatever base you're at, you probably have a similar MOU. Um, and your MedCom DHA colleagues will probably overestimate how they control that. They'll tell you, oh, no, well, we're going to up you to 0.75 FTE. Well, hold on. You know, somewhere in that pathway, the, the Forcecom tactical providers have got to get involved and understand that. Um, and But generally, generally, this is a, a pendular struggle between MedCom DHA and Forcecom. And at different times, it, one, one will yield to the other. During the, the bulk of the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, you go back into the surge time frame from like 06 to 09, 10, um, DHA did, didn't exist yet, but MedCom, it's its predecessor, what is, what is turning in and going to become the responsibilities of DHA, uh, really didn't, couldn't, couldn't do much, couldn't leverage their power to control the tactical providers really at all because you were in and out the door all the time and you were doing war. And so they, they would come down and they're like, ah, oh, and they just had to flex to it. Um, the further we get away from those high-intensity uh, combat operations, the more DHA MedCom is going to kind of wrap their grips back around it and try to squeeze it until at some point they're going to squeeze it down to where you're effectively just a MedCom provider. Um, and, and at that time, you've really got to take a hard look at that and be like, man, oh man, this is scary because I'm giving up all of my medical readiness preparation, my training, my ready medical force, my medics, that time, all that other stuff. And, and you can very quickly get, get chained to your desk and knocking out uh, uh, physicals and, and sick call all day long. So that's a that's a great that, – that conversation right there I think is something every new PA needs to hear right out the gate. So I think it's – that's one of the intents behind the DHA, you know, is that they're supposed to take over – a lot of our clinic operations, which theoretically would cut us as, as force comp PAs loose a little bit more. So we'd be able to go and, and, and take care of the medical re medical readiness of the force as, as far as like medic training. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that was the idea and the concept. But so far, it doesn't look like that's where we're headed. It looks like we just rebranded MedCom um, as DHA and, and, and really at the provider level, at the force comp level provider, there's, there's not a huge significant change. Yeah, uh, get get ready. Here comes Grumpa off the top rope. Ha ha ha! Yeah, there, there's like yes, you're 100 percent right. And I actually got to watch this. Um, I was in a position in from about 2015 to 2018 where I was kind of you know all this talk like oh DHA is going to make it so much better and we're going to pick up the the healthcare benefit delivery. And then I just I watched. I could see O sixes and O fives just digging their heels in and like well this will never work because and they pulled out all the stuff and and it is difficult and intricate and hard to do. I get it. But this goes back to some of our earlier conversations is trying to use the same people to do healthcare benefit delivery in its entirety and operational readiness and battlefield medicine is really hard. It's really hard. And uh, in, in its theory, 
you can swing that pendulum to one end or the other. But uh, the simple fact is, as long as you're leaning on tactical providers to do healthcare benefit delivery, they're going to struggle with their operational medicine piece. And you're 100% right that we've effectively just changed the name of MedCom to DHA. Now, are there going to be some changes? Yeah, they're still talking about getting rid of some specialties that we don't need. Ultimately, I don't see them putting the resource into relieving you of your dual task purpose. And so they're just going to keep leaning on you. And as you mentioned, like you're, you're the unit you just arrived to that has an underlap and shortage of PAs. Uh, in all my time, I, I actually handed off with one PA, and he, he came into theater, deployed early into Afghanistan, and I, I handed off my battalion to him there. We got two weeks of overlap. The only time I've ever had that uh, no, I take that back. I had one other one week under overlap with a buddy. But generally, I would come into a unit that hadn't had a PA in some time. Um, and that that's just the standard. Like as long as we struggle to recruit, struggle to maintain, and we're under strength, that's what you're going to get. People are going to move, and then you're going to backfill. And you want that. You want to be able to stop at flight surgeon on your way to your, your next unit or stop at the career course on your way to your next unit or go to TCMC. And so lining those things up perfectly doesn't always work, and that, that's what you're going to suffer with. Um, so, but that, that's generally, generally where you are. Okay. So we keep talking about this 0.5 FTE, um, FTE standing for full-time equivalents. We kind of explained how that works earlier, but how is the hospital actually tracking that? Like, how do they, um, make sure that we're maintaining our 0.5 FTE and when we exceed it, because we all do, how do they, like, is there any mechanism for them to understand that we've exceeded our 0.5 FTE, regardless of the fact that our schedule is only open for, for those five half shifts a week. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, this is very much Grandpa's opinion. I'll, I'll tell you what Grandpa says. Grandpa says, you hit 0.5 FTE, you stop work, and the clinic should be the one that picks up the difference, right? Um, now, that's all cool until the clinic's like, well, who let all these people leave uh, and leave this uncovered? Uh, so if you don't give them a voice in manning the force comm units and their replacements, like you, you, they're, they're fully justified being like, no, you figure it out. Um, what does you figure it out look like? You're experiencing it now. I know we were talking before we started recording this episode, your, your short providers. What it looked like to me was right out of PA school, first unit show up. And within four or five months, every PA in that unit had left except for me and one other recent IPAP grad. And so it was the two of us and the brigade surgeon covering seven battalions uh, worth of people. And we were basically doing the sick call for everybody. Um, no MedCom DHA support uh, from them at all. And so literally, like it just was sick all day long. Well, we were probably running one and a half FTE by the time we were done between us and, you know, just trying to manage that. Um, the the right answer uh, in, in my mind is, is not tenable. It's not financially tenable or otherwise, but it's to supplement the Soldier Center Medical Home with civilian providers that pick up that difference. That if you if you have a surprise, you're like, surprise, I got to go to the field all of a sudden, or surprise, there's a jump this afternoon and all my medics have to go, or surprise, uh, we're going on a deployment, a no-notice deployment to Kabul, say, uh, you know, whatever that looks like. like so You're not, not taking everybody with you. Somebody's staying back and there's got to be health care coverage and someone's supposed to be doing it. And I, as far as I'm concerned, concern medcom's on the hook for it man like the the fact that you are the primary care provider for your battalion and impaneled with every soldier in your unit as the sole healthcare mechanism i i, I haven't found that defined anywhere i haven't picked up the document that says that that's the case it seems to just be that that's the expectation well you have a provider in your unit so it falls on them and if the fact is that that's a, a one or one and a half FTE requirement and there's only one of you that's supposed to be half FTE, well, that's your problem. <laughs> Nobody has sat down to do that math. And if you, if you ask me, there was, there was a talk you know, a few years ago 
um, and, and I'm sure it's come up multiple times since and well before, was that, you know, being a battalion PA in a conventional force IBCT is probably two provider job, right? There's probably well over one FTE worth of work of just clinic and, and medical readiness, depending on how you manage it. And the closer you get to managing it the way Medcom wants you to, which is booking six to eight weeks out, three months out, central booking and so on and so forth. Well, the further you get closer to that, that two FTE, right? Um, if you let me try to work the corners and ma manage it my way, you let me bring as medics as many medics as I need to to the clinic to manage it. Well, then I can probably get it down to a 0.75 FTE, 0.6. I'm pro I'm still pretty busy in a 900 person infantry battalion in a light but in a light battalion. But there's no differentiation, right? Like you know that in a conventional force BCT, your cavalry squadron is quite a bit smaller than your infantry battalion, like 900. There are eight, 850, 800 people versus like 400, 500, and uh, they don't care. Like you, the only difference is the number of medics and, and stuff. You have still one credentialed provider, one, one privileged provider. And so your, your 0.5 FTE is easier to manage if you're the CAV squadron provider. It's a lot harder to manage if you're the infantry battalion provider. And so um, nobody, uh, thus far, when I sit down and talk to people that – that haven't worked in a BCT, like this, this conversation goes right over their head. They're like, uh, you're impaneled with your battalion. Like you figure it out. And I, and I, and I get that. I, I follow that, but that's not, that, that's not right. That's not quality. And so, um, how do they track you? Uh, they try to track you the way they track your medcom providers. They try to track your RVUs and they try to track your dimmer's eye, which is why the person come by and wants you to do dimmer's eye. But because you cloud things for them, uh, and this is where you, we, we should have a conversation about DMIS codes and understand what a DMIS code is. Um, that's where things get goofy, right? And so what a DMIS code is, a DMIS code is, is assigned to a facility. It says that this healthcare occurred at this facility. It used these medical supplies and these providers. And um, if it's all MedCom DHA people, like Womack Army Medical Center or, Car or Car Darnell Army Medical Center or fill in the blank, if those are all MedCom people, uh, they're, they're on assignment to include MAP personnel. Uh, actually, MAP personnel confuse things even further. Um, if, if you're MedCom assigned, it's real easy. Like you put in there, I did 30 minutes of PT this morning, and then I, I took care of IPAP students, and then I trained residents, and then I did a simulation case, and then I saw six hours of clinic, and then I had admin time. You get to write all that down. Um, and it's easy for them to track because you're assigned. Now, if you are borrowed military manpower, you work in a conventional force unit in, in a BCT, and you just see clinic in you, you see patients in their clinic and sometimes use their supplies and use their rad and use their pharmacy. Um, then they get it gets weird because you're basically producing RVUs against their DEMIS code, but you're not assigned to them. So they want to see when you're doing that, which is why they ask you to fill out a dimmer's eye. And that's why they don't want you to put in most places will tell you, you can't put in your PT time and you can't put in uh, readiness preparation time and training medics. You can't do that. Even though they track that on their own people, they don't want to see that for yours. They're just trying to do the math on what RVUs you produced based on what hours you, you put in. And uh, that's where it gets goofy. And what's, what's really goofy about this is this, I don't think this is the way the system was designed. And once again, I haven't found anything to read to understand, but there's non-reportable DMIS codes. And really, every single parent DMIS code, so like Womack, is authorized a child DMIS code that is non-reporting. So if, if we were to just take this a step further and say, 
Uh, Fort Bragg has Womack Army Medical Center as its reportable DMIS code, so and that includes all its peripheral clinics, uh, Clark and Robinson and all the others. Um, that's cool. They report against that. But then they're also, also authorized this non-reportable DMIS code that could be used and should be used to capture your throughput, your BCT, and everybody else. And so at, at Fort Bragg, that happens. You have Camp McCall out there as one of the periphery clinics, and it's actually on a non-reportable DMIS code. And um, that's cool because then they just run their clinic however the hell they want, and nobody cares because it doesn't get calculated into the numbers that get reported up to the Army that gets used to say that you're overstaffed or understaffed or need more people or need more facilities and so on and so forth. Um, and that data gets drawn into all kinds of stuff like you know, life cycle of equipment and, and when buildings should be replaced and so on and so forth. And uh, so your reporting dimmer's eye and creating RVUs in their clinic is, is very confusing. It's a very confusing process and um, it can get really weird. And so when I say that uh, DHA and MedCom, a lot of this goes over their head. I'll give you this example. Um, once I figured this out, once I had figured out what a reportable and non-reportable DMIS code was and what they were after, and it took me a while. It was probably five years into being a PA and had been a brigade senior PA and, and was trying to figure this out. I walked into the guys that actually track all this at Fort Sam. Uh, PASPA is the name of this, this organization. They track all the dimmer's eye data and all the RVUs. And I, I sat down with the chief uh, who I just happened to meet. And I was like, hey, I got, I got some questions for you. I want to try to en en enhance my understanding of this. And he, I said, uh, how do you get a non-reportable DEMIS code? And he goes, what's that? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> you are the guy that is supposed to be like, how do you, how do you not know what a non-reportable DEMIS code is? And his answer was after he was like, what's that was, why in the world would you want to do that? We're losing all those RVUs. Well, no, they're not yours in the first place is what you need to know. Those are force comms. And so the question is, do you want force comm to track RVUs and your dimmer's eye the same way MedCom does? I think the answer is no. And if uh, if I ever hear of any of anybody listening to this trying to advocate for that, I will find you. I will hunt you down. Because uh, <laughs> that, that, that to me is miserable. But how do you track your productivity otherwise? How do you get to that half FTE? And so hopefully in kind of what we've described here i've been talking for a minute and kind of fast but hopefully i've kind of put out the boundaries for you understand just how complex this issue is for when you're like well i i'm at a half fte i obviously have more clinic work to do but it, you know how do i do it and manage my my operational preparations and such well there's no good answer man and uh and i there's not an understanding um, at all the levels that there should be of the impacts, or it's just an, an untenable uh, fix, you know, and that's, that's one of the things I believe is that you're never going to have a tenable answer, a, a financially responsible or financially uh, executable option to make this right. Um, and it's going to continue to just fall on you to figure it out, uh, fall on the BCT Soldier Center Medical Home to just figure it out. Okay, so what I'm hearing is essentially uh, going back to the beginning of the conversation is most of what we've talked about isn't is important to understand so that we can tell the right people to kick rocks um, and that we can continue to do our force comm mission, which is a ready medical force and a medically ready force. Right. And so making sure that we're we're able to work within the constraints of that. You know, here at Fort Hood is the three core and Kerdamsey agreement that says I'm supposed to work 0.5 or 0.6 FTE. Um, so as long as I, I, I understand this, I, and again, like you said, we've been talking fast and furious for the last, you know, 20 minutes or so about all of these random things, RVUs, Demmer's Eye, 
And it's really like, you know, even after this conversation and the one we had before we recorded this, I still don't fully understand all of this stuff. Um, but I do understand why there's this fight between Forcecom and Medcom. Um, and, and I think really, again, as a, as a Forcecom provider, the point of this whole episode is going to be um, a lot, giving you the information so that you can at least have the initiation of a valid argument of why you shouldn't be increasing your schedule beyond your 0.5 FTE through the MedCom uh, clinics. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and what, what is, what, I mean, there's, there's more levels of complexity to this that yeah, but, but yes, generally. Um, so, so I, I guess ultimately a question is like, like, am I right about this? Is, is grandpa got this all figured out and grandpa is going to be the first one to tell you like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, like I told you, I have not found anything where this is written. I have observed this across multiple installations and multiple conversations with people that should know and reading emails and reading op orders. And so there may be, I, I have a feeling there's a repository of knowledge inside these, uh, MHA, um, LTHET folks, like guys that go, guys and girls to go to the uh, the Masters of Health Administration stuff, and then end up in as administrators within the facilities. There's some repository and knowledge. The person that I would want to sit and have lunch with and buy a few beers with is is the one that had lived down inside the BCT, the Conventional Force BCT, and hopefully had had some experience. Oconus, where you actually have your map providers on staff. They're not, um, they're not over at the hospital and detached from you. They're actually in the unit with you. Um, and the ones that have worked in soft and, you know, best case scenario, you got somebody who's got a master's of health administration, worked in conventional force, worked in the soft force, worked OCONUS and, and, and CONUS and has seen kind of the breadth of this and understands all the intricacies of it. And I say that because, you know, you're inside a soft unit. Um, and generally the soft units pretty easily can be like, yeah, clinic, you do our healthcare and our, our tactical providers don't, don't do that. That's not their role. They will help out and see the occasional person, but I'm, I don't have my SFPA or my, my battalion surgeon in a, in a, in a, uh, in an SF group over here doing sick call. They don't do sick call. They take care of their guys. But generally, if you have day-to-day healthcare stuff, they can easily make an appointment with a with a provider over at the clinic. And that doesn't exist in the conventional force. Um, and similarly, if you're OCONUS, like, you know, you're out in Hawaii or Alaska or Korea or Italy or Germany, um, there's it's not just the PA in that infantry battalion. It's the PA and the battalion surgeon. The 62 Bravo is there. They're, they're, they're owned by the unit. Now, they split their time between the clinic probably according the same way they become borrowed military manpower the way that the PA is as opposed to a map provider who's actually owned by the facility and only allowed to be taken out when the tactical provider, when the tactical unit wants them. And so all those little intricacies are different. And then each type of BCT is different. So if you work in a standalone brigade like an air defense artillery brigade or an MP brigade, like stuff's just really weird for you because you don't really have the medics to offset that need. Whereas if you work in a, in infantry battalion you've got you know 50 medics to draw from but if you're an armor brigade combat team you know a combined arms battalion you only have some 30 35 medics to draw and to to do that and so each each organization is just a little bit different and that's true of striker brigades infantry brigades um the armor brigades and then it's different oconus infantry brigades versus conus infantry brigades and so on and so forth and but in the end the expectation is, yeah, figure it out. That you have this. So, if I'm an if I'm an airborne infantry battalion PA at Fort Bragg, I've got 800, 900 people that I'm managing all by myself, and I'm supposed to be doing half FDE and training those 50 medics. And effectively, somebody that doesn't know any better is like, yeah, that's the same as this guy that has a cav squadron uh, in Italy, 
and has their their full-time map provider on hand. So you have two providers managing 450 guys. That's nuts. <laughs> that is nuts to me. And most of our health administrators don't have that level of experience to differentiate that. They just see problems and numbers and, and, and let them shake out. So um, so what is, what is the answer? How do we, I don't know. I sure is, like I told you before, if you, if you come online out loud in a public forum and say, we should do dimmer's eye just like the facilities in the, in the conventional forces, like I, w- I, I will boo you out of that theater. I will find you uh, <laughs> because that's a miserable endeavor. And uh, I, well, I, I, I get it, but it's, it's, it seems more nightmarish than, than worth it. And so I, I wonder if maybe the thing to do is kind of tap this as a research project and get some people that are motivated, find some brigade senior PAs that are like, you know what? I'm going to try this and track dimmer's eye type information in their BCT to some level of quality for some period of time so that we can really see what your productivity is. Because I I really think that there is no way that Medcom looks at your actual productivity and is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They're, They're going to be blown away. Like if you really track every single physical exam, PHA, sick call, training, all the PT stuff that you do, everything else that you do, they're going to be like, this is impossible. You're lying. And you're like, no, no, this is this is what every one of us is doing across the Army every morning this is our life and you have no appreciation or understanding of it because you live in your little clinic la la land uh and 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 everybody has two offices and a three-hour lunch and whatever else i mean i'm obviously exaggerating and and a little bit antsy but yeah well (laughs) and the dimmer's eye thing i mean i laugh because in the last two years i've never once filled out my own dimmer's eye there's some dude in the clinic or one of the administrators who does it for me so i know it's bullshit Right, like it's just made up off of whatever he thinks I did that day, and so whatever Medcom's tracking has no basis in reality. Yeah, no, I agree, and and you know the bulk of my dimmers I experienced really was during PA school because I actually had to fill it out as a PA student in the facility, and then I remember as a battalion PA, they come around and they're like your dimmers I, and I was like, you just get away from me, I don't, I don't care. Like you know, you're so busy, you're just like, I, I man, I don't got time to play numbers games. So you're right on there, whatever you want. And then, and then now as, as an ERPA, you know, I work in the facility and I try to fill out, like I, I've tried to be stubborn and just fill it out and like track all my time for them. And then there's just some administrator that deletes that stuff off my card. <laughs> They're like, whatever, man. <laughs> and nobody cares. And, and again, you know, you go back to that conversation I had with the, the chief at PASPA and they were just oblivious, oblivious to this, this entire conversation. I'm like, how, how are you the guy for our army on this topic and you're you don't you don't even have an understanding of this like you're and and so maybe i'm making a big deal out of nothing or uh, maybe that's the source of the problem i, I, I don't know well, all right, guys, that was a, a half hour of us railing against the uh, the current machine. Um, and I hope that some of this information is useful to you guys when you go back and, and you're getting beat up over uh, clinic availability and whether you're seeing enough patients or working hard enough or doing enough. Um, remember, this is an overview. This has a bunch of information in it. Uh, if you have more interest or if there's something that, that jumped out to you or you're getting beat up about something specific and, and you want us to kind of do a little bit more research into it, please reach out through the, the grumpypa at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Just a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, the Grumpy PA and Pandemic Paul are just a couple of Army PAs giving you their opinions. Those opinions are not intended to represent the positions of the Department of Defense or the Department of the Army, and neither of us have any financial disclosures to make to you about what we've discussed in the podcast today. 